Well, happy Resurrection Sunday to you. I know we've already done this, but we're going to do the call and response thing again. But this time, if you would take advantage of that little chat feature there on Vimeo, I'm going to say, He is risen. You say, He is risen indeed. And go ahead and speak it out right there in your home, in your kitchen, in your bed, probably some of you, out on your back porch, whatever it is. But also type it into that chat feature on the side so we can see the body of Christ all together say this. So I'll say, He is risen. You say, He is risen indeed. And type it into that chat feature. Ready? He is risen. Nice work. I've got one encouragement for you today. One, just one. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your Bible or if you have a device or you can look on with somebody that you're watching with, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we're going to track all the way to the end of that chapter for our one encouragement this morning. Paul writes this. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me read that to you again. Ready? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, look at me now, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's my encouragement today. That's it. Stand firm. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Let nothing move you. But you know my sermons aren't going to be short. We still got a ways to go yet. So remember, we've talked about this before. Anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? That's right. So when Paul tells us, stand firm, let nothing move you, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I need that exhortation right now. He's, he's already built an argument. He, he's built a case for this exhortation. And the, the case begins at the very beginning of the chapter. So what we're going to do, now that we know our destination, we know where we're headed, stand firm, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, let nothing move you. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and see why that exhortation makes sense. Let's track back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll begin in verse 1. Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Okay, so here's what he's going to do. He's going to remind us about the good news about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I forget sometimes. Not forget like it just kind of falls out of my head, but... You know, I, I neglect to tell myself the story of the gospel each and every day. Sometimes the way I look at my life, the way I understand events around me, the way I see other people is not through a gospel lens. So Paul says, let me remind you of what that is. Pick it up there in verse 3. Here's the gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. There's the gospel. Paul wants to remind us that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised according to the scripture. Wonderful. I'm so glad for that reminder, Paul, of the simplicity of the gospel. It's not any more complicated than that. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. But here's what Paul is about to do. He's about to tell us why that matters. And and you just watched a video of four people that, that are dear to my heart, actually, sharing from their own story why it matters to them. And my prayer would be that today, as we take a look at 1 Corinthians 15 and then eventually get to that stand firm part, that you would be reminded today as to why the resurrection matters. Or maybe, maybe even discover for the very first time that the resurrection of Jesus, a historical event that really happened, why it matters so much for you today. So here's what Paul says. Verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Okay, so so that's the first reason the resurrection matters. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching, yours truly right here, and so is your faith. Your faith is also useless. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say this, that, that I have faith in faith, or I just have a faith. Well, biblically speaking, that's not faith. Faith is putting one's active trust in someone or something. And so what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is alive, and so you can put your active trust in Him. That actually makes sense. Your faith is not useless. Your faith faith is not like chaff that's blown away by the wind. Your faith is not in this nebulous thing. Your faith is not in circumstances, especially now since circumstances seem to change every single day. Your faith is not in your family, your faith is not in your financial situation, none of those things. Your faith is in a risen and living Jesus. And so because of the resurrection, your faith matters. Your faith is in something solid that will not move. Number one, the resurrection matters because now we can have a real meaningful faith. Number two, here we go. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's just reminding us now. And now watch, you are still in your sins. Oh, wow. So the resurrection of Christ not only means that I can put my faith into a risen and living God who can hold that faith and stand firm and be stable in the midst of instability, but because of the resurrection, Jesus can guarantee that my sins are forgiven. See, by rising on the third day, he defeated hell, he defeated death, And now my sins have been washed away. Rather than the Father seeing me as a sinful, broken human being, and I am, the Father sees me through the eyes of Jesus. If Jesus is still in the grave, he doesn't see me that way. And now Christ has, this is the big Bible word, 
imputed his righteousness to me. He's given his righteousness to me. I had nothing to bring on my own. I had no righteousness. In fact, the Bible says that even my good works are like filthy rags before God. And yet, because Christ is risen, he's given me his righteousness and I am no longer in my sin. See, my faith is useful. It's productive. I can put it in something that can hold it and hold me. Number two, I'm no longer in my sins and neither are you because Christ is risen from the grave. Point number three. Now watch this. This one's, this one's very, very interesting. Uh, verse 23. But each in turn, Paul says, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Watch what Paul is doing here. He says there's a sequence here. Christ has been raised, but he is the first fruits. Uh, he's like the match that initiates and lights the fuse. He's like uh, the, the catalyst that starts something. That's already happened. Christ has been raised. And yet, the things that Paul says have not happened yet is the resurrection of the, uh, from the dead of those who know Christ to an everlasting hope and a new body. He'll talk about that here in a minute. And then the kingdom of God will be fulfilled, just as Paul said, after all dominion, authority, and powers have been uh, squashed, Jesus will hand the, kings, the keys of the kingdom over to the Father, and God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't think God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven, right? I know that the resurrection from the dead hasn't happened yet. So how do we know those things are going to happen for sure? Well, it's because of the resurrection. We look to the resurrection and we say, because of that, I can be sure of that future hope that has been guaranteed to all believers. In order to illustrate this, I actually want to take you in my backyard real quick. Is that okay? Come with me. Let's go to my backyard. Well, here we are in my backyard uh, where I promised to take you. And I wanted to uh, introduce you to my tulips. You might have heard me talk about my friend Marion last week. She's uh, in her early 90s and she gifted us some tulips uh, right before we moved, but they were bulbs at the time. So when we got to this house and, you know, winter was kind of wrapping up, Amy and Kaya came out here and planted the bulbs in the ground. But now look, come on, look. They're starting to spring, right? They're starting to spring. And eventually that will become a tulip, a full grown, fully bloomed tulip. And really it's a great illustration of what it means that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. So just like that tulip bulb was buried in the ground, Jesus was buried. But just like that tulip bulb has now begun to grow and have new life and come up out of the ground, Jesus did the same thing. But, but, but check it out. The resurrection isn't done yet. I mean, capital R, Jesus is raised from the dead, sure. But God's comprehensive resurrection plan is not 
finished, it still will grow and it still will bloom. So that resurrection power that Jesus began when he died and was buried in the ground and now he's risen from the dead will take hold of all of who we are, our culture, our life, our thoughts, our relationships. And eventually it will become a beautiful flower when Jesus makes all things new. I hope that every time you see a flower now, you think of God's resurrection power. So you see, we can look to the resurrection, the capital R resurrection, knowing that Christ is risen from the dead means that we are guaranteed that God's resurrection power will eventually penetrate all that we know and the world will bloom again. All right. So here it is, here's the gospel, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he's now risen from the dead. And because of that, we can put our faith in a living God who won't let us down. We can know for certain that our sins have been forgiven and we're no longer in our sins. And we can even look forward to that future grace because of the resurrection when Jesus will make all things new. And for that reason, Paul says, therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Maybe you're joining us today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, that you are still in your sin and you know that you're separated from God. I want to invite you to take a very small step today. And again, I'd like to tell you a story in order to illustrate it and give you an opportunity to take that step. There's been moments over the last couple weeks during this uh, COVID crisis where uh, I've been alone and isolated as we've kind of tried to navigate these changing times as a church. That's been very difficult. And my family's away from me in Phoenix. They're kind of stuck there and I'm kind of stuck here. There have been some moments where I'll just tell you the truth. I've been miserable. That's the only word I can use. Just miserable. So I thought, I'm going to look on my bookshelf upstairs and I'm going to see if I can grab a book that might be an encouragement to me to make me a little less miserable. And I found one. It was a perfect, perfect book. It's actually a book called Less Miserable. That's, that's exactly the title. And I thought, wonderful, this book will make me less miserable. Now, if you've ever read Les Miserables, you know that that book probably won't make you any less miserable. But... There's some hopeful stories in Les Miserables. I want to tell you uh, the story that the book opens with in, a, in an effort to kind of invite you in to the grace that God extends to you today. You probably know that the main character in the book is Jean Valjean. He's been in prison for 17 years. And in prison, he was shown the opposite of grace. Actually, the reason he got into prison was because he stole a loaf of bread to feed a starving family. Jean Valjean tried to escape on a couple of occasions and he was successful for a time. They brought him back and gave him more years and more years and more years. And by the time he got out, this man who had only stolen a loaf of bread to feed a starving family was now a bit of a hardened criminal. 
You see, the anti-grace that he was shown had pushed him down, had changed his personality, had made him gritty and rough and raw and angry inside. Well, Jean Valjean is eventually released from prison and he comes into a town on his journey from one side of a country to another and he goes to an inn. The innkeeper kicks him out because he knows exactly who he is. He's a convict. He's a felon. He says, get out. He goes to another inn to try to get a room and a meal for the evening and he's kicked out once again. He's uh, refused lodging from a private residence. There's a gun pulled on him actually. He eventually hides in kind of a hay bale and finds out that it's a dog kennel and he's bitten by a dog. He can find no place to stay and he winds up in a doorway of a house sheltering himself from the cold. Have you ever felt that way spiritually? You, you've not been shown grace, that you just needed someone to show you undeserved favor, beaten, worn out, huddled in a doorway, trying to stay away from the cold. That's where Jean Valjean was. Eventually, Jean Valjean will stay with a priest, and that priest showed him grace. He treated Jean Valjean like a human being, not like a convict. He set him down at his own table. He pulled out the expensive china and the best silverware. He didn't talk about Jean Valjean's past. They just talked about life and Jean Valjean's future. And in the book, you can see his countenance change. You can see his personality change. He begins to bloom. He begins to shift. You can almost feel the smile on his face just because of the grace that the priest had shown him. You see, that's the invitation of God. He says, I have grace for you. I have hope for you. In fact, when you come and dine at my table, I'll break out the best china, the best silverware. I'll prepare a fattened calf, as it says in the story of the prodigal son. Put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and a robe on you, and all of heaven will celebrate when you come home. And that grace begins to transform you. But there's a step, a step you have to take. You see, when Jean Valjean was huddled in that doorway away from the cold, a woman approached him. Jean Valjean was complaining that he had knocked at every door and he had been refused lodging at every place. In the end of the chapter, the conversation between Jean Valjean and this woman goes this way. I've knocked at every door. You really mean I've been turned away everywhere. The lady touched his arm and pointed across the square to a small house beside the bishop's palace. Have you really knocked at every door? Yes. Have you knocked at that one? No. Then do. What an encouragement. What an invitation. I would ask you, friends, in your search for meaning and significance, in your search for hope and life, in your search for, for fulfillment, have you really knocked at every door? Have you really? Because that door 
behind which is Jesus, is grace, it's hope, it's healing. I would invite you today to simply knock on that door and ask God to come in, to forgive your sins through His Son Jesus, to show you that transforming grace that only He has. And this Resurrection Sunday can be the beginning of your resurrection too. Pray with me. Oh God, I pray for those listening who have never come to you in repentance and faith, even now in their homes as they're watching a video. Would you impress upon them the power and the tremendous strength that is your grace? Remind them, God, that you have good things for them, that you have forgiveness for them, that you have life for them. And God, would you draw men and women to yourself even now. In Christ's name, amen. If you'd like to say yes to that invitation today, uh, we'd love to walk you through that. It's just a real simple prayer. You just go to Jesus and tell him you're a sinner and tell him you're in need of his grace. Tell him you're in need of uh, his mercy and that penalty that he paid on the cross that was yours to pay and mine to pay. You need him to forgive and you accept him and you say yes to that invitation and you wanna follow him. He can hear your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. And if you prayed that prayer today, please, please take an opportunity to drop us a line. We'll even get on kind of a side chat with you so we can uh, talk to you about that and help you begin to grow in following Jesus. As we close today, we've decided to do something just a, a little bit different. We actually swapped out a song. And this last song really is a song that I would invite you to receive. It represents our prayer for you. And when I say our, I mean the staff and elders of Bayview Glen Church. This is what we're praying for you. And even if you want to, uh, just wherever you are, if you want to just open your hands in, in kind of a posture of receiving this grace from us to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Receive our blessing to you. Happy Resurrection Sunday. See you next week.